Welcome, gamers, to Basement Arcade Pause Menu, the show where we hit pause, sit back, and just chill. I'm your host, Ben Magnet, and today on the show, I have with me truly a very special guest. He is part of the International Art Collective. I'm pretty sure, I know I just read it five seconds ago. I might have got it wrong. He is definitely going to correct me when I bring him. But he is also the man who created this amazing art exhibit. If you've been to any sort of video game collection, either in Southern California, Portland, all over the country, he does this amazing thing for the called the Art of Nintendo Power. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Stefan Reese. Stefan, how is it going? And it's interactive art collection. God, it's all right. It's okay. I stuck it on there just for you. <laughs> uh, I, I am so glad that uh, StreamYard just started doing that because this wasn't a thing back a few when we, when we started the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like, I know it started with the I. And my brain just decided, like, you read this five seconds ago, but F you, you're going to forget what it is. Yeah, no, you know what's funny is that uh, IAC, the acronym, is like several other unrelated 501c3s are also IAC. Uh-huh. So, like, people get that mixed up all the time. It's it's fine. It's 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 names. It doesn't matter. None yeah, of this yeah. matters. What are <laughs> names? What right. oh, What is a name? What is that? What is, what is, is this? I don't know. But anyways, Stefan, it is an absolute honor to have you here. You are someone who um, I, I've i seen your the art exhibit, the art of Nintendo Power at multiple conventions, both in Portland, SoCal Gaming Expo when you were when you were there. And every time I see it, I always get a little giddy because Nintendo Power, as with many other gamers who grew up in the 80s and 90s and hell, even the 2000s, we all, especially us Nintendo gamers, we all have a very special connection to Nintendo Power. And since you were, this is your very first time on the show, normally the question I ask for my first timers is, how did you get into video games? We'll get to that. But I want to know, because we're talking Nintendo Power, do you remember the first time you ever opened a Nintendo Power magazine? Oh, I sure do. And you oh, know what's funny? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it, was it, uh, is it um, volume? I want to say it's 20. 20- 27 i know i'm gonna be wrong people are gonna slay me for that but it's the um the um super mario world cover oh Um, i do everything like visually i look at the art all day every day so Uh i don't like people are like oh you don't you don't know the number for whatever and i'm like no it's it's but i have the cover in my living room so like uh so i i remember covers i remember art that's how i remember issues but yeah it was the the uh super mario world cover uh my grandmother had bought me that subscription and uh and yeah i absolutely uh remember pulling that out of the mailbox for the first time and you know it's funny because i talk about this a lot the um nostalgia people have for this magazine mm-hmm. is completely compartmentalized from nostalgia for video games which oh, is yeah. really interesting because like i had I'll, I'll give an example uh at at a show uh last year uh, a woman had seen uh, the lemmings i have the lemmings cover for mm-hmm. for uh nintendo power and she upon seeing that she just completely broke down and started crying and it turns out that she also was gifted her subscription from a grand a grandparent who had recently passed and oh. so there was this, this very very visceral connection with mm-hmm. that issue of the magazine and i was talking to her a little bit and she had never played lemmings in her life like she had, <laughs> like it was just never it, it was it was not a thing um and so but but because of that connection to the magazine you know People remember, have these really visceral memories of like pulling issues out of the mailbox or flipping through them on their bed. And it's very event driven, whereas Mm -hmm. I don't, 
you don't get that as much sometimes with like MMOs and like things that are that are very like particular to a certain day or a certain event um you'll get those kinds of memories but generally i find that you don't get that nostalgia of like oh yeah i remember playing you know super mario brothers on this particular day you know around this particular holiday or whatever like it's it's nostalgia for video games tends to be a little bit more vague whereas Mm -hmm the the nostalgia for the magazine this one in particular and i'm sure other magazines as well um it's very it's very specific yeah it's really interesting yeah my own hit my own personal history with nintendo power i mean the topic of the the episode was gonna be like video game magazines but i'm like i know i could talk about nintendo power all day every day i know i could just talk about nintendo all day every day i'm representing nintendo right now i got my legend zelda not only that at the time of this recording I actually are at the day of this recording, just a little, a little uh, inside baseball here. Um, I did a, re- a recording with a friend of mine earlier saying that I don't have the game Tears of the Kingdom. Mm-hmm. A few hours later, my best friend emailed me a code for Tears of the Goddamn Kingdom, and it's yeah, loading wonderful. on my Switch right now. That's great. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, you know what? It's, it's funny. People are, I, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting uh, flack for it on, on social right now. But I, I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of Breath of the Wild, uh, mm-hmm. and so I'm not also not playing Tears of the Kingdom. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't particularly like the open world Zeldas. I think, I think if it was called something different, I might like it better. But because mm-hmm. I have like so much expectation and like a very, very specific requirements for me as to what creates a Zelda experience that Mm -hmm. like the open world, especially the most recent open world stuff um, just doesn't hit that like, oh yeah, that's a Zelda game to me. Right. And so like I, you look, uh, Link to the Past is one of my favorite games of all time. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's one of the greatest games ever, ever made. Um, But uh, the 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 newer stuff like I don't know like that that top down experience is really sort of part of it for me, um, uh-huh. and so uh, so I just I would have probably liked it better if it was called something else. Um, but hey, uh, no judgments here, bud. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, I will I will always praise um, Link Between Worlds. If yeah, it wasn't wonderful. for Link Between, it's my favorite Zelda. It's my personal favorite Zelda game. If it wasn't for Link Between Worlds, you and I probably wouldn't be here talking right now. Or like the remake of the Game Boy game was phenomenal a couple oh, years ago. So I loved Wink's Awakening. I yeah. loved that uh, Switch port. It was yeah, or that Switch remake. It was oh, so good. Yeah, but anyways, let, let's put a peen in that, shall we? Sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I tend to ramble. The, <laughs> oh no! The good news about the about this show, um, Stefan, is that rant tant rangents. Uh, tants, uh, um, tangents, rants. That's what I'm trying to say. Essentially, if we just go off on a, a random thing, it's not in, it's not just welcome; it's encouraged. So, Good. well, then I'll fit right in. Yes, you will. But going back to Nintendo Power, my own personal history with Nintendo Power came right after I got a Nintendo Wii for Christmas, and it was in one of the pamphlets that because you know when you get a new brand new Nintendo console, especially back then, they had pamphlets for Nintendo Power, Club sure. Nintendo, all a bunch of stuff. And I was looking at this, and my dad actually asked me if I wanted to subscribe because it was like a free subscription with my Wii, and he said, "Hey, do you want to get this magazine?" I'm like, "Hell yeah, I do!" And I don't remember which was the first one that came to my house. But I do remember the first time I ever saw Nintendo Power, and it was at my local library of all places. My mom found it because it had Ash Ketchum on the cover, and it was a shot from the Pokemon anime, and it was Mm -hmm. talking about Pokemon. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, 
And I'm just a small child who's well into the Pokemon craze. Like Pokemon has invaded my house, my life, everything at this point. Sure. In like 1990, whatever it happened. And I was just like, ooh, I want to see. I didn't realize I wasn't reading jack shit. I was just like looking through and seeing the pictures, seeing if there was new stuff coming up. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, it, it's uh, it's a shame that because it, it, it's funny because people ask me, you know, if I have a full run of of Nintendo Power, and uh, honestly, I do not. I do not Ooh. own every uh, every issue of Nintendo Power uh, because for me, my interest sort of starts to wane in the magazine when uh, traditional art sort of went by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Um, but that it's funny that you mentioned that Ash Ketchum cover because presumably that's a sell, right? From from. Yeah from the the anime and i would love to find that cell every once in a while because you know because like throughout most of the first like 80 issues um the the covers were created for the magazine specific yeah art art pieces specifically made for the magazine but then uh as they transitioned away from traditional art when mm-hmm. you did get traditional art, it was obvious. It was it was usually key art sourced from something else or a sell from yeah. a show or something like that. So occasionally, I will find art well past that sort of like first eighty issue threshold of when it was uh-huh. all it was all traditional traditional artwork, um, mm-hmm. and I'll find stuff because they sourced it from something else, and I'll find that something else. Like I have the uh, the the poster. For Superman 64 was from was a piece from the style guide for the Superman cartoon show, mm-hmm. uh, and so I found that piece of style guide art, and it just also happens to be the poster for Superman 64. Um, nice. So yeah. So uh, uh, t- talk about um, I wouldn't say controversial, but talk about a game that definitely puts some like ruffles some feathers if you I mean, talk. It was, it, sure, it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> But because uh, every time I, I see the art of Nintendo Power at any convention, I always take pictures and I'm just fl- trying to flip through my phone. It's, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of stuff organized on my phone very well. But honestly, one of the, the things that I saw, like what you said, because a lot of magazines, because when I had my subscription to Nintendo Power, it was all pre-rendered. It wasn't traditional. It was all 3D. I mean, when I was actually reading the art or reading the articles inside the magazine, sure, the information, the content was fantastic and awesome. But when I see stuff like this and audio listeners, it's a cover of Super Mario Kart, the Nintendo Power cover of Super Mario Kart, which has Bowser throwing a banana at Donkey Kong, Mario, and a Koopa Troopa. I miss that. Yeah. And I'm part of me is mad that even though I was alive during this era, I was so young and so I wasn't really in video games that I didn't appreciate it at the time. And even another um, art, the piece that you bring around a whole lot is the art for the super Metroid players guide. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely, and last year or a few years ago when Metroid dread came out, I played all the 2d Metroid games in preparation for dread and super Metroid was an amazing ride. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It really, Look, at the time, it was special that like desktop publishing had started to become a thing, and like mm-hmm. you could create publications without the need of of hand drawn art. But at the same time, you did lose the gravitas of this magazine. And to your point, like I, I, I think it was similar to like how when you're growing up, maybe it's different now, but at least when we were growing up, there there wasn't this uh you didn't understand that the 
that the characters in the shows that you were watching were voiced by real people. That was yeah. just not something that you thought about. And now I think that the, the, I get the str- these incredibly strong reactions at shows because people never stopped to think that someone had to draw all of that or paint all of that. And that 30 years later now, it's actually, it's 30, 30, this year is the 35th anniversary of the magazine. Um, no one thought that that 35 years later, any of it would still be around that anyone would have kept it. Um, yeah. So it really, it really was a special thing um, that was completely, almost entirely lost when the game industry went polygonal because like basically as soon as uh, all the games went 3d so did the magazines and at the time 2d traditional art wasn't uh nostalgic or retro it was just old yeah uh, and so it took it took a little while for it to not be old anymore mm-hmm. um and uh yeah, it, but I, I, it is a shame that that um, that when the magazine stopped uh, traditional uh, traditional art, that it just like stopped overnight, and it was just mm-hmm. like almost completely gone from the magazine. Yeah, uh, it was I, not. It was not a slow transition. It was a very quick transition. I I believe it, and. I mean, when I was a kid, especially, I'm pretty sure when I started really buying into, because even though Nintendo Power was one of the magazines on the racks, my household wasn't necessarily a Nintendo household. We had Game Boys, of course, but we didn't. Our first Nintendo like home console that we owned was either the NES that I got for Christmas when I told my dad I wanted Super Nintendo, but he didn't hear Super Nintendo. He just heard Nintendo. It was either that or my N64, which by that point, everything in my house was like, polygons political or political wow polygons polygonal um 3d based games yeah and the magazines that my brother and i were getting we we were getting playstation magazine we were mm-hmm. getting um tips and tricks whenever we found a um uh, whenever we found a new one in the grocery store begging our parents to buy us a magazine with a bunch of cheat codes in it nintendo power was always there and when i even when i finally started when i got my subscription to the magazine I was really happy I got it because I love flipping through it. I love because there was more insight in there than the other magazines because the other magazines like Game Informer, Tips and Tricks and um, PlayStation, they were all either like we got to branch out to everything or with, like with PlayStation, let's just branch out to what we have and then we'll just go from there. Mm-hmm. But Nintendo Power, I want to say is since it was one of the first or at least it was one of the first that like stuck and stuck hard. Mm-hmm. It was like when I found when I heard that Nintendo Power was no longer printing issues that the, the last issue was going to be issue whatever. Uh, part of me it hurt a little bit, even though I wasn't a subscriber to the magazine anymore. But I was like, but no, why? yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, same, right? I I uh, hadn't, um, and and that the magazine stopped publishing long before I started all of this. Oh, um, and so um, it. Uh, I had not even thought about the magazine for some time until I saw on because because regular news outlets picked up Nintendo Power stopping publication. Just I mean that just kind of shows the what a cultural milestone mm-hmm. that uh, that publication is. Um, and uh, so like you know CNN was picking up that the, that it was that it was clo- that it was closing up shop. Um, Damn. So I so I did go out and buy that last 
last issue, like I think a lot of people did, but even having not thought about the magazine in a number of years. Yeah. I mean, especially when you were a kid and you see these video game magazines, you always think like, what do you hear that? Oh, um, EGM or like EGM is going under or they're like other, other magazines like less like tips and tricks when tips and tricks went under because they didn't need to publish any cheat codes anymore the internet has all the cheat codes sure. they don't need to uh, they don't need to waste money in killing trees it's like that makes sense but in the back of my head i always i want to say i pop i probably took nintendo power for granted in ways because mm-hmm. i always thought it wasn't just new it wasn't just like reviews of games it wasn't just um i mean obviously they were trying to help tell people like you should buy nintendo products because of x y and z but they went a little bit further than that. And even when I watch documentaries like on um, on Netflix, like um, High Score, when they do talk about the Nintendo, the first issue, how Nintendo Power came to life and why yeah, I talk Ga- to other friends. Gail Tilden has a wonderful uh, segment in that. I highly suggest it. If anybody, Gail Tilden, uh, dear friend and uh, and editor-in-chief of Nintendo Power, um, she uh, she's wonderful and she has a great segment in that documentary. So I highly, highly suggest anyone go watch it. Oh yeah, definitely. Even when I would talk to um, my buddy Patrick Brickhouse, who runs the Retro Blast podcast, he yeah. when he was on my show, he would talk about how he beat Castlevania two, and him and his friend because of Nintendo Power, he had a Nintendo Power. Oh, sure. that's the, the only way you could. You that's the only yeah. way you could beat it. Who the hell would <laughs> kneel at the cliff for however long it is? I, no I one. Wouldn't. Zero people. <laughs> you know, uh, well, the Earthbound has a moment like that too, uh, where the um, behind the waterfall, you have to just like stand there. There's a to get into the Master Belch's lair. You have to. I don't know if you played Earthbound, but there's there's. Oh my God. Okay, we'll go play Earthbound. That's homework oh, for you. Oh, um, earlier it just we were earlier my uh, my get my my previous guest and I we were just talking about all the games we want to play. We're like, there's too many games. There's too many games. Yeah. No. Uh, so that's homework for you. Play Earthbound. Um, yeah, but Earthbound. Uh, but there is there's a moment where because the um, the game came with a strategy guide, right? That's why the box mm-hmm. is so big. Oh, and yeah. um, and there's a moment where you have to. There's like a dude. Uh, guarding a door behind a waterfall and then he like won't let you in but if you sit there i think it's like two minutes it's a significant amount of time for a little kid to not do anything um and if you have to sit there for like two minutes and then the door just opens um and like the only way you would ever know that is if you had the strategy you got it which is interesting because it almost makes it a drm in a way or like like you know copy protection because like you wouldn't be able to figure that out on your own without that guy that came with yeah. the game. Yeah, I I don't think even if you were to stumble across it just at at an accident, what are the odds to like say you're playing Earthbound, you get to that spot and you're just sitting there, and then you your mom yells at you to go help you with something, you go and all of a sudden you come back and the door suddenly Door's opens. Open. You go, yeah, yeah, what yeah. happened? Yeah. It's like what happened? Does the dog push a button? I don't know. <laughs> you're like the one kid on the on in the schoolyard who was able to get past that part earthbound because everyone else is like, I've done everything. I don't know where to go next. <laughs> right. It it honestly it gives me the um this is jumping uh companies for a hot second, but have you ever played Mega Man Legends 2? Not in a hot minute, but all right. Okay, yes. so you know that part in Mega Man Legends Two where you get to the underwater dungeon and yeah. you need the drill arm to progress. Yeah. But in order to get the drill arm, you need this big ass gear that's hidden in this one certain box in the very beginning of the game. I I don't recall, but I believe you. <laughs> that sounds. Do you terrible. want to know what a twelve year old put over? 
40 hours trying to find that goddamn gear. Oh, I and bet. I was, I was even, uh, yeah, the 12 year was me, but I was just determined to beat this game without the strategy guide. And I was checking everywhere except the one box it was in. And I did this stupid side quest to get 2 million in-game currency to buy this one weapon. Cause I thought this is the weapon. This is the weapon I need to get. Nope. Totally different, completely just not what I needed at all. And I finally caved and said, Oh, it's here. I'm like, I was yelling at my computer screen. My mom comes in. She's like, what's wrong? What's going on? I'm just like, don't worry about it. It's nothing to do with you. It's all me. <laughs> yeah, so giving, you, giving you a complex. <laughs> like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> it, it was one of those things. It's like, what do I need? Because Mega Man Legend, the Mega Man Legends games, is those are my favorite Mega Man games of all time. I'm still mad at Capcom for Legends 3, and they won't give Legends more love. Mm. Uh but I was just so mad that I couldn't find that stupid gear to progress the game. I just had to look in this one box that I, it was the one box that I didn't look in. And, Ooh, I have never mixed that box ever since. Yeah, <laughs> Every time I, <laughs> and it's like, you know, if there was like a PlayStation power guide for it, I was like, Hey, sure. you need this for later. Make sure you check all the boxes in this thing. Just trust us. Check them all. Even yeah. just a big hit like that, I would have saved me hours of pain and suffering. Nope. <sighs> Sorry, young Ben. <laughs> it's uh, well, it didn't really. Once I finally found it, I, I mean, yeah, I was upset, but also taught me a good lesson when I play RPGs. Check everything, and when I say everything, I mean everything. That's right. Talk to every NPC you find. Doesn't check every little nook and cranny. You never know. Yeah. All right, so. Let's just step away from the magazine and from the um, art exhibit for a hot second, and let's just talk about you. How did you did How did you get into video games? Was Nintendo your gateway into video games, or was it the arcades, or like even how, Atari? Like as a kid, how I got into into yeah. the games. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm pretty sure the uh, we had a TRS-80 growing up, which is a, basically a, a Radio Shack personal computer back mm-hmm. when Radio Shack was a thing. And 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 when Radio Shack was a thing, um, and uh, and so we had a TRS eighty, and there was a um, a game called Matterhorn Screamer, which was a uh, I'm I'm pretty sure there are a couple things that could have been my first gaming experience, but I'm pretty sure this is the one just from you know me being in my forties and trying to remember young childhood stuff um but it was a a game called matterhorn screamer and it was uh, basically a a platformer with goofy climbing the matterhorn at disneyland and uh and it was not particularly good or but it was the game we had (laughs) right that and like what else do we have for that stupid thing Uh, win loser draw um definitely had that um it might have actually just been those two so i am fairly certain the TRS-80 happened because my dad was chief of police when I was a kid for the city oh. we grew up in, mm-hmm. and he needed the computer for work. I think a lot of a lot of kids my age had personal – the ones who had personal computers did so because their parents needed them for work because they were so ungodly expensive. Fun um, fact, my father's also retired law enforcement, and he came home with a computer. He claimed it was for work, but of course, my younger brother and I, we used it for video games. Nice. Nice. <laughs> um, what are you doing? Sorry. No. Oh, Get puppies. out of here. 
guess this is my sorry people at audio listeners i have two <laughs> large dogs in my office with me right now they're, they're adorable thank you um stop eating piper's things please um anyway uh so yeah so i'm pretty sure that was my i i'm i'm almost certain that happened before the nes because mm-hmm. i know i didn't have an atari at the time i got my my first 2800 i got well after it was like in garage sales and stuff because i'm pretty sure i picked it up from from a garage sale or something like that mm-hmm. um but yeah so i'm pretty sure it's that trs 80 game matterhorn screamer um and uh and that was my my entry point um to gaming at large and then i was also the first kid on the block to have an nes and the only reason i remember that is because the other kids would like my parents were absolutely irate because the other kids on my block were just letting themselves into our house in the mornings <laughs> and to play the NES and I would wake up and there would be kids on my block already in my living room playing my NES uh when when I woke up in the morning uh so bold but yeah that's that's bold. how that that's how I got I got uh, that was my entry point into to gaming at large. My um, God, that is something that sounds something just out of a 1980s movie. Yeah, yeah. Like kids just kids breaking into my house to play video games. But just like kids just coming into your house, just like completely unannounced, playing your Nintendo, and you're just get, about to get ready for school. It's like what does everyone do? It's like or that Patrick meme from SpongeBob where he just sees all the eyes under his rock and he's like, "Who are you people?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what it, God? What was his name? There's one kid that was, I think his name was Jeff. That mm-hmm. uh, that uh, he he was the one that 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 uh, was the biggest. Uh, the biggest perpetrator of breaking into my home to play my NES. Wow. And he knew, and did, did, did he know that your dad was a law enforcement? At oh, the I time? don't think so. Oh, like we look, were, you know, I was about to say, if he had known, I, I don't think he would have broken in. Cause if I know my parents' friends, if they were a law enforcement and they're like, yeah, just come over anytime. Like I'm not coming over anytime. I'm knocking. No, <laughs> I'm I knocking, think, I think, uh, I think we were too young for it to matter or to register okay. as it being a thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but wow, you're the first kid with an NES and everyone. I could only just imagine your mom being just like yelling at this kid. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, yeah, they were games. not, they were not thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it was like looking back too. it's like, cause I thought, I thought I was making, like, I was stoked because like, oh, I made a bunch of friends like now as an adult thinking about it, it's like, okay, clearly they were just here to <laughs> play the, play the Nintendo. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah. It was fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. I mean, well, we could thankfully we can look back on those kind of stories and laugh about it now, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you grow up with um with an old um TRS eighty one or what was your old computer again? TRS eighty. TRS eighty. Otherwise known as the trash eighty. A lot of people call it the trash eighty. I got close. I was one digit off. So you started with the TRS eighty, the first kid on the block to get a Nintendo. And it all, and that's how it snowballs. That is, and of course, you get your first ever Nintendo Power. So let's go to the now. The okay. Magazine. Oh, my first, my first exposure 
to Nintendo Power wasn't that first issue. It wasn't mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't the Super Mario World issue. I got exposed much earlier um, on the playground at school. There was a kid named Mitchell Swan, and he had a subscription, and he mm-hmm. would let me borrow his issues. Okay. And I th- I think. Uh, I think it's the Metal Storm issue was the first one that I ever actually opened and read. Um, and what's interesting too is is um, my exposure to Nintendo Power was really because they had a section in Nintendo Power that would uh, like they go to developers and like have little like vignettes in the back about about actually making games. Mm-hmm. And I um, I didn't know you know making games is a black box for most people back then like it was just this like mystical thing that people were doing in japan oh, and yeah. like you know there wasn't there wasn't you know there was no degrees or any career paths it's just the the people who were making games like seemingly just figured it out right yeah and i think a lot of people did uh and uh, you know um but uh but reading those vignettes in the back of nintendo power was what got me interested in wanting to do uh, wanting to go into the game industry, and I have I've worked in the game industry for the last twenty years, and um, and uh, it was due to that exposure around fourth grade um, that I uh, that I decided that that's what I wanted to do. I was like, I don't know how this works. I don't know how I do this, but this is what I want to do with my life. And uh, so, yeah, as early as fourth grade, I knew I wanted to make games because of Nintendo Power Magazine. That. That's awesome. Yeah, that is that. I just lo- one of the reasons why I love doing this show and talk, talking to people like you is just hearing these wholesome stories. Is like how you found your calling through video games and through Nintendo Power and stuff like that. I was like, man, when I was a kid, I was just lucky just to play video games. Yeah, and just like you said, it was a mystical process. I just thought I give money, they give I get game. That's how it works. I don't know things. Yeah, and it's uh, you know. I count myself very lucky because very few people get to actually say that they do for a living what they said they would do for a living when they were in the fourth grade. Uh, I don't even know. I don't even remember. That's exceedingly rare. I don't even remember what I said I wanted to do when I was in fourth grade. Probably something silly. I don't know. I want to go for a while. Before that, I wanted to be a cartoonist and then realized I had absolutely no natural aptitude for drawing and uh gave that up pretty quick well you're working with video games and you have it and you work with an amazing um uh, with an amazing exhibit now let's go back towards the to the art nintendo power and the interactive art collection how did that start like how how did um uh, the art of nintendo power you collecting these pieces how did that begin well, uh, I should probably take probably a further step back and talk about my journey into collecting at large because okay. that sort of like dovetails into this. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, this is the, the beginning of the story is is a little bit harrowing. So I apologize in advance. Uh, it does involve cancer and death. Um, but uh, so so trigger warning there. But uh, so my uh, wife at the time and uh, and and mother of my child um uh was diagnosed with uh cancer breast cancer and so uh at the time i was looking for something that um to distract myself right because like Mm -hmm. this was consuming all like every every 
spare moment I had and I just needed something to do. Um, and at the time I had actually uh, amassed a really significant toy and comic book collection that like I had kind of gotten to the sort of my definition of done for that collection. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I find that when that happens with collections, a lot of times, um, it stop it stops being this like living, breathing thing that you're feeding and it just becomes this weight around your neck. And it's just like, great. Like now I just, I have all this stuff and I'm done. Like, what do I, what do I do with all of this stuff? Um, and so, um, so I had this, this, you know, piggy bank essentially of a collection that I could then liquidate and, and put into, into something else. Um, and that's what I ended up doing. Uh, so, um, so I, you know, it had always sort of been that, that childhood, you know, that childhood thing of, Oh, I wonder what it would be like to have every, every Nintendo game ever made, you know? And I'm like, that would be kind of fun. Like maybe that's something I could do. And I was already working in the industry and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, so, so yeah, I, I delve headfirst into collecting video games. And at the time I had like a shoebox collection of super Nintendo games or whatever, you know, just the a handful of things that I'd kept from my youth. But, um, but I, I started like just going to brick and mortars and I live in Southern California and we have a lot of brick and mortars. Um, and so it was, it was like, I'd have a, I'd have a route that I would go like for like, <laughs> it was, I think it was like something like 14 stores or something like that, where I could be in a different retro game store every day for like two Ooh. weeks and then just complete the cycle over and over again. And I was just uh -huh. doing that. Um, and, uh, and so I, I, I decided I was going to, um, I decided I was going to uh, do Super Nintendo first because that was my 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 really sort of passionate love um, as far as console gaming was concerned, and I ended up doing the full full North American set in two and a half months um, because I was shit. again I was I was I had this piggy bank of a collection and I had like this drive to like not want to like think about what was going on in my life and I had. Uh, you know, regionally, the accessibility of like all these game stores. And so, you know, I maybe probably pulled the eBay trigger on like, uh, like less than 10% of, of that. But uh -huh. most of most of it was just like going out and like, you know, do it in stores. Um, so anyway, uh, after so I ended up doing this Piper, uh, I ended up doing <laughs> 10 North American sets uh, mm -hmm. before I decided like, well, Eventually it was 12, but, but 10 before I decided to branch out, um, and in, in a relatively short order. And, and so like, you know, uh, I kind of decided after a while that like, especially like after I'd done Super Nintendo and Nintendo and Genesis and like the, the big, you know, sort of like really nostalgic collections, I was like, you know, at the point where I was like getting like an entire, you know, like a full set of GameCube and a full set of like Dreamcast and like this and, and Turbo Graphics and consoles I had never had before. And like, um, you know, 3DO. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, and I was like, you know what, like, I, I enjoy the chase more than I enjoy having these things more often than not. And so yeah. I was like, I was like, so like it, it, it became apparent to me that collecting video games now, of course, like with like the sealed graded thing and it was a different time, but back yeah. then, back then it was like game collecting was not hard. It was just expensive. 
It and was. if I wanted to have a game, I could have it. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, you know, if you're, if you're, if I'm willing to spend the money, I can have the thing. And I'm like, that's not particularly compelling. And so, especially again, and you know, my, my wife was, um, uh, continuing to progress and, and, you know, just, just so I'm not burying the lead. She does eventually pass away. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, um, she was continuing to progress and I was still like, really like wanting that hunt, wanting that focus, wanting that, you know? And so, uh, I was like, okay, so games, games aren't hard. They're just expensive. So what's, what's harder than that? I said, okay, how about point of sale displays? And so I started collecting signs and standees and, you know, fiber optic signs and neon signs. And this was like, you know, now, you know, you know, some of these fiber optic signs are like, you know, $10,000, which is ridiculous that, you know, when, I, when I was collecting them, you know, the, the most expensive sign that I could think of was my big, um, uh, KB toys world of Nintendo. It's like a six foot long fiber optic sign. Um, oh. and that was, that was $2,000, which, you know, it's, it's it, I'm not going to like say it's not a lot of money, but like in context, it was not a lot of money, um, to, to, to now. And, uh, but, but yeah, so, um, so I was like, okay, like point of sale displays that that's really, really interesting. And so, but then I had gotten to the point relatively quickly with that stuff too where like i didn't have everything but i had the stuff that i wanted right and and like you know with space being such a premium when it comes to signs and standees and that kind of stuff um i just got to the point where it's like okay i uh i have what i want like so so what's what's the next harder thing and while i was thinking about this i was i was flipping through uh a Nintendo Power magazine. And in the in Nintendo Power number 1, the first thing that you see when you open the when you open the the front page is an ad for the Gameplay Counselor hotline. And it was at that point it, at that time it was branded the Power Line. But it, it, so in that ad there's these these kids that are actors, they're clearly not actual counselors, but they were wearing these jackets. And I was like, "Huh. I wonder if those jackets actually exist." <laughs> and so uh, so then I was like, Hey, how hard would it be for me to find a Nintendo gameplay counselor today? And so I was looking through, I was looking through issues on Nintendo power and I was like, Oh, well, they give me a name and they give me a photo of what these counselors look like. And like, that's really like some of them didn't use their real names, but the ones who did like that was their name and that was their actual photo. I was like, okay, well, really, the hard part now is going onto social media mm -hmm. and figuring out what these people look like 30 years later. And so, and then once I found one person, like it was a, it was a, it was a web, right? The more people uh -huh. I found, because generally the, the a lot of those counselors like would talk to each other and kept in touch with mm -hmm. each other. So like using like the mutual friend system. Like the yeah. more the more friends I had who were counselors, the more counselors I could find, and it would just spider and spider and spider and spider, to 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 the point where I then like knew introduced myself to, uh, you know, several hundred counselors, oh, and wow. um and so um, so through that process, it was funny because 
uh, I did find those jackets and I found a number of other jackets, but, but, but oftentimes it was more of like a, Hey, I don't have the jacket you're looking for. I don't have the thing you're looking for, but I have this award or I have this paperwork or, uh, I have the box that I packed my desk into on my last day and then threw that in my garage and it's been sitting in there for 30 years, but it's still there. Like, and so then I would be like, hey, can I buy that box? Like sight unseen, just like <laughs> sell me whatever was in your desk your last day, <laughs> right? And so uh, so the other big piece, the interactive art collection, not only is the world's largest collection of original art for Nintendo Power Magazine, it is also the world's largest archive of Nintendo gameplay counselor memorabilia. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, not on accident. And so... Um, uh, so during that process, uh, I had met a guy and he became a very close friend, uh, Jeff Hazard, and he was a Nintendo gameplay counselor. And he's like, look, man, I don't have anything left over from my counselor days, but I was, after I was a counselor, I was an artist for Nintendo Power Magazine. And I do have some of that. Would you be interested? And like, it was this very like, comic you know like comic book or a cartoon moment where like the camera zooms into the into the through your skull into your brain and it shakes a minute and it <laughs> explodes um it had never and i alluded to this earlier it had never occurred to me that someone drew all that art and that some of it might still be around and so uh so then same thing with counselors from that one contact, that one artist, um, I was able to grow an incredible network in, in pretty quick order because like for the most part, you know, I'd known art collectors and like, but the, the, the Nintendo power pieces that the, the existing art collecting community had were usually on accident where they would be looking for covers for games or art from, you know, you know, uh, like the the cover art for the boxes, you know, they uh -huh. would be looking for that stuff. And then occasionally one of those artists would have also bought, you know, also painted for Nintendo Power. And so then, so there was a couple, a couple uh, uh, collectors that had a few Nintendo Power pieces, but no one was out there specifically looking for Nintendo Power art at the time. And wow. so, so I, in a very short or within, I had before anyone, cause I wasn't, I wasn't being very public about this because like, uh -huh. I didn't want to like create my own competition. Now right. I'm so, now I'm so invested in it that like, it's easier to talk about because like generally I've either already canvassed it or, um, or, um, I'm already in the social network of artists enough that like, I don't mm -hmm. need to worry about competition as much. Um, but, um, but before I had a hundred pieces before anyone knew I had one. Um, and now, now three or what? No, four years later, four years later, I'm at 356 pieces of original art from Nintendo power magazine. Um, and, uh, but yeah, that's sort of how that happened. Um, as far as like deciding to collect art, because like, it was very much a moment where I was like, oh, like this is 
this is the end game. Like I'm looking, I want to collect rarer and rarer things and nothing like every single thing I'm finding now in this niche is literally one of one. Like when I have a piece of art, that's the only one, like it doesn't get any more rare than just being the thing. Um, and so, uh, so I was like, this is it for me. This is, this is the space that I want to be in. I want to, I want to collect, you know, historically relevant artifacts and things that are, you know, one of one in nature, you know, um, my friends joke saying that like, oh, if they made two, I'm not interested. <laughs> right. <laughs> like gen generally, generally I, what I, what I do say is that, um, if it's for sale, if it was ever for sale, I'm not interested. Like okay. that's generally, that's generally like my line is whether or not it was like retail. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the only thing that, that, uh, that really, um, gets close to being, um, an exception to that rule is like some of the like, uh, catalog stuff from Nintendo Power Magazine, the stuff they mm -hmm. sold in the catalog. Um, yeah. I, I like that stuff just because it's fun. Like but, the uh, like the Toys R Us or like the or the air quote solid gold controller that they had for the N sixty four or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a, there was a quarterly catalog that they that they mm -hmm. sent you know in in the magazine and, and you could buy things specifically <laughs> from the magazine and um and actually the Nintendo World Championships cartridges were one of those things. Um, I, th oh, I think. Oh, what I would not give to have it. No, okay. So no, the gold one was a giveaway, but they did they sold the star fox competition cart and the donkey kong country competition cart were both okay. sold um in that in that catalog but um but yeah so uh so then i was at this point where it's like okay like what is what's the next step like because i felt like i was close to my final form um but i wasn't quite there yet and i realized that like having all of this like really historically relevant material and keeping it for myself was absolutely pointless. Um, and no shade, honestly, like collect how you want to collect. Like I do understand there are people out there with collections and basements that they will lock away forever and no one will ever know. Like not my favorite that that's <laughs> true, but also I'm just in no position to ever, like I will, same thing with like, I never, besmirch people who choose to collect sealed graded games um not for me generally but but collect how you want to collect like that that's mm -hmm. like that is a slippery slope that i'm not willing to navigate right um so <laughs> i'm too uh, broke to navigate that slope <laughs> yeah. but but i just mean i just mean that like i'm i'm never going to tell someone that like the way that they're collecting is wrong um that's just not something i'm interested in doing um but uh, but anyway, so I was trying to figure out like what the final form here was, and I was like, oh well, like why don't I just start showing it to people, like and and not and and then thinking about how I was like, well, I, I like I want to do a museum. That seems to be where I want to go, but like brick and mortar is too expensive. Like to have a to have a brick and mortar museum, you really need financial backing, uh, and and like unless you're like the strong mm -hmm. or like these very, very large well-funded museums, um, it's going to be a struggle to, um, 
to get a brick and mortar. So we are, a, the Interactive Art Collection is a 501c3 nonprofit art museum. Um, you can absolutely donate to us and write it off on your taxes. And, you know, maybe someday someone will donate me a building and that's, that's, that's technically feasible. Um, yeah. and then, uh, and then we'll have our brick and mortar. But until then, um, I've chosen to just sort of piggyback on the backs of, of existing conventions, um, and, uh, and, and share our work that way. And, uh, and it's been, it's been absolutely wonderful so far. Um, and, and this, this sort of is my final form, you know, I want to, I want to share this work for as long as I can, can, can physically do it. Yeah. And what I love about the art of Nintendo power specifically is that obviously ev almost every gamer alive knows about Nintendo power in some way, shape or form. Sure. But when we talk about that magazine, we do also talk about what was inside the magazine, like the cheat codes that like, Oh, I found, I found like that. I found out my favorite game because they had a preview of it in Nintendo power magazine or, or like um, Castlevania two. I some friend people beat Castlevania two because of the Nintendo power magazine, but with your spe um, exhibit specifically, it shines a light that I feel gets overshadowed a lot of times, and it's the classic art. Mm -hmm. um, I remember, I want to say it was the one in Portland. I think that was the last convention I saw you, uh, or I saw the exhibit at. That was the last show we did. <laughs> and what, and you did, if I, am I remembering correctly, did you have panels or like comic strips from uh, the Super Howard, Mario Brothers? Howard and Nestor. Yeah, well, yeah I, I, we, have, we have some Howard and Nestor. Yeah, yeah, you have like um, sketches of comic strips. You have sketches of what the final of the, the final cover I you had some sketches of of like the Darkwing Duck cover and of mm -hmm. course my personal favorite the Super Mario Kart the Metroid uh, the Super Metroid stuff mm -hmm. and every time I see the exhibit at a convention I always I a I have to look through it because why not but also I feel like every time I go I see something new and you said you had like 300 some pieces yeah and I that's on purpose I, and yeah. I'm about to say is like how do you, is there like a rotation on what kind of art pieces that you bring or there is there okay. so there's some about half of that exhibit is going to be permanent because it's okay. like fine final paintings for covers and things mm -hmm. like that like people will always want to see that stuff right and so there is probably uh 25 pieces so basically right now you know usually it's me and and um and my friend chris read the game shark or cheap cheap games I'll, I'll give him a plug uh he's at he, he does the convention circuit as well and so and sells japanese import games but he is my primary uh my road buddy for uh for exhibits and uh and so it's usually it's just two of us and two of us and a u-haul and so um Generally, that means that I can do about 50 frames. Now, for those of you at home who haven't seen uh, my frames, sometimes with interior art, that doesn't mean, so one frame does not mean one piece of art because right. like a lot of times there'll be like a spread for like, like for instance, um, I'll, I'll, I'll bring up one that, that's, uh, that, that uh, comes to mind is the zombies ain't my neighbors. I have all the, for, I have all every piece of art for that entire spread. And it was like, you know, five pages or something like that. So I have, it's probably off the top of my head, 12 pieces of art that are in a single frame along with, I also do public. I also, anytime I frame something, I frame it with the published piece um, so that you, it makes a clear connection as to what you're actually looking at. Um, and so, so, uh, so yeah, I can do about with the two of us. I can do about fifty frames per exhibit, um, and so I'm I'm able to cycle them out. And sometimes, you know, 
I used to get new pieces all the time, but now I've sort of saturated myself to the point where like anything that I'm finding now is like a, you know, a, a real effort to find. Um, and so, or it's something like, you know, sometimes it comes to me, right? That's one of the reasons why I make myself so findable on social mm-hmm. media um, is that occasionally some things, you know, someone will come to me and, and offer me pieces. Um, you know, Art of Nintendo Power is not an accident um, for, <laughs> for, you know, if you search for uh, Nintendo Power art on Google, I will, ser- I will sort higher than Nintendo does. Oh. So, um, so that's, that, that's, that's very purposeful SEO, um, that, uh, so I'm, I'm incredibly findable. And so sometimes I will, fi- I will have genuinely new pieces at a mm-hmm. show. Usually, you know, just out of vanity, I want to like show the newest stuff. Um, but I also just cycle work out to your point. Um, because again, I can only do about 50 frames. And so that's usually, that's usually about a hundred pieces, uh, mm-hmm. on average, uh, depending on the frames. But still, fifty frames, especially when I was at when I saw you at Portland. I don't want to say because when I first met you, it was at SoCal Gaming Expo, and I want to say it was like 2017, 28. It was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It was definitely pre-pandemic because I saw you there, and then when I saw you again at uh, Portland, I don't want to say the art of Nintendo Power is like scooched over to the to like it's like ah you get your little quarter. I mean, you have a sizable space because you have a bunch of frames and also space for people to walk through. But what I loved about um, the Portland is that not only were you did you were you in outside of the main vendor hall where people are hustling, bustling, trying to wheel and deal, but you were also sharing a room with the Video Game History Foundation as well yeah. and their um, exhibit for Pac Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Frank and Kelsey are a wonderful pair. Uh, if you don't support the Video Game History Foundation, please do. Um, they are another five hundred one c three nonprofit who uh, supports the uh, the archiving and and and. Uh, you know, historical preservation of video games. Um, but, uh, and I do a lot of work with them, uh, both mm-hmm. professionally and personally. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it usually anytime, anytime they're setting something up uh, and it's within my driving range because sometimes they are able to fly stuff. Uh, but like with me, with the frames, like I can't, I, I refuse to, I will never ship any of mm-hmm. those um, just from a liability standpoint. Oh, yeah. um, and so like, and this is not my, uh, full-time job, right? This is just a, something that I do. I do my full-time job so I can afford to do this job, right? Um, oh, yeah. But I know but that I struggle. Still, I still have to compete with my day job. And so uh, so that's why I've really only done West Coast conventions or, you know, a, a couple states a couple states in like it has to be driving distance basically from Southern California for me to be yeah. able to do it. Um, because I can't just take nine days. Cause you know, if I did like an East coast show that would take me three days to drive it. And yeah. so it's so like I do three days driving and then three days for the exhibit probably. And then three days back, like minimum of nine days is a lot to take out of my vacation time when I also have a family and I also, you know, it's just like, yeah. so, um, so, uh, but yeah, to your point, I love like so the 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 smaller shows sometimes won't have dedicated space for me, but mm-hmm. it is a definitely a very different feel uh, when they do because like when I'm in a vendor hall, there's an assumption that what I that these pieces are for sale and that they're probably prints and like people don't people already struggle to uh, that's actually why I I I frame things with the published piece. Um, because 
it's easier for you to wrap your head around the fact that this is the original art for this thing that you're looking at, right? Um, when I'm in a vendor hall, people just kind of assume that like somehow I've recreated these pieces and I'm selling them. Um, and so it's a very different, it's a very different feel. And I'm, uh, and I'm answering a lot more silly questions when I'm out on the, when I'm out on the vendor floor. Um, if I have my own space, um, which I think the next place that I'm going to be that I will have that is game on expo in Arizona, um, in August, I think. Um, but I will have my own room there. And, um, and, uh, and that's a very different feel. Cause then I can also, I can control the lighting. I can control the, uh, the music I can control. You know, there's a lot of things I can control to make it feel more like a, um, a museum experience. You could also make sure the AC is cranked out to max. Cause you know, Arizona in August. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and, uh, and, um, the the convention so i did that show last year and it was an amazing experience um and uh, i'm really looking forward to it again and they've, they've been nothing but wonderful to me too so that's awesome i mean and that's out in phoenix correct yes yeah probably like greater phoenix area i should see if i can make it make out because the only or make it out there because the only out-of-state convention i've ever been to was portland because like you i'm here in southern california i also have a full-time job and day job and that is very competitive to what I do outside. And, um, and it's really hard to me to, for me to like pick certain days and, um, get time off to go anywhere or, or do fun stuff outside of the, outside of my area. But it is in Phoenix. It's, it's the Phoenix convention center and it is August 11th through 13th. All right. That's not too bad. Phoenix isn't that bad of a drive. No, I mean, it's, 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 it's uh, short enough that uh, that we are able to drive it in one sitting. Yep, and it's just it just it's, it just gets hot out there. But that's the desert, and that's California. We get hot too. Honestly, Portland is a much more challenging drive for us. I uh, I, bu- I, I bet. <laughs> you I know, think, I, you have to drive. I think it's seventeen hours. Yeah, and, that, and usually we drive it straight through. Like one of us will just drive until like we can't anymore, and then <laughs> and then we'll switch. <laughs> no, my uh, my family. We would take road trips to Montana when I was younger, and I know the I know that feel, bud. That's that just going that high up in the United States is it's a grueling drive. Yeah, thankfully I love it. Helps That's, it helps if you love it. Oh yeah, I mean especially for for Portland because when I first when I went to Portland, that was my first ever time going to Portland. I only ever heard about it, and I must say it did not disappoint. I was. I walked in there the, my first day. And I just saw how big the arcade area was. And I was like, I'm home. Yeah, Portland is a wonderful show. And they are, again, also, they are one of the shows, much like Game On, that really understand my mission and understand the importance of what I'm doing. And like, I've been nothing but supportive. That's awesome. Now, earlier you were talking about the chase, about how when you were collecting games, the chase was better than having it. I completely understand that hunger. Is that thrill of the chase there with the art of Nintendo power? Because I know you said that sometimes pieces come to you and you're not even looking for them. But what do you hear a rumor or do you or you get like the scent of a piece is like, are you kind of like um, this might be a, a bad analogy. Are you kind of like Charles? Uh, uh, that one actor at the end of um, Dracula and Toll goes, the game is on, or like you're about to hunt down for a new piece. Is the chase yeah, still there? Um, well, so it is, but it's extraordinarily different because okay. with things that 
when you're hunting for things that shouldn't exist, oh, shit. Um, that's a very different process than just like hunting for a effing. Can I can I swear on the show? Okay, it's very different than hunting for a fucking game, right? Like, um, and uh, so, and it requires usually an absorbent amount of patience. Oh, yeah. uh, because a lot of times it's there are probably think about it probably 20 pieces right now that mm-hmm. i want that i know where they are that are safe usually in the hands of the artist or one of their families because let's face it is now getting enough along enough in years that like i'm i'm finding some artists via their obituaries it's just uh-huh. it is what it is um and so uh, you know, some some sometimes it's you know a child of that artist will have something, and they'll be like, "Look, I'm just not interested, or I'm not ready to sell." And that's very much a it's um it's all about building relationships now. Right. It has ne- very little to do with the actual thing, right? Like if I go out and say I'm going to go find this thing, I will fail a hundred percent of the time. Um, it's more about just finding people. And just seeing who they know, what they remember, you know, what they what they might have kept. Um, and but it's not the goal is never I'm going to approach this person and I'm going to walk away with the thing. It's right. never that. It's always I'm going to go to this person. And by the time we're done talking, they will understand that when the time comes, if the time comes and if it doesn't come, that's fine too. But when the time comes, we are the best home for mm-hmm. their artifacts and that we, that we value legacy and that we mm-hmm. value the history and that like all of these things, like money is the last thing that we value in this process, right? And being a 501c3, it's actually, it's actually physically legally difficult for me to sell things out of the collection it's 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 a process um mm-hmm. which is why i honestly keep my personal collection and the museum collection very separate entities um but uh, cuz sometimes i will sell things personally to mm-hmm. fund the museum that happens a lot actually but but um but yeah so it's just like Yes, when like usually when some when I find something, it's it's just different because usually when I find something, I wasn't expecting to find that thing. Like I was just hunting for things. Like I call it doing research. I'll have a research day where I'll just be like, I'll just basically sit at my computer and I will look for people using various methods. And and like on research days, if I find even hell, if I find a name, you know, like that's good enough, right? That that's progress. Um, so it's just it's a super super different process with very very different goals. Um, so there's and there there's not a I'm never going to be done when when you're looking for historically relevant items. I'm mm-hmm. never going to be done. So the chase is different because I'm not, there's not a goal, like a macro goal that I am charging toward. It's just right. moving forward. And mm-hmm. so, um, so it's, 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 it's a super, super different process. Like, yes, I enjoy, I love the hunt, but I love the moments, the moments, uh, like there's, so there's no moments of completion. And so like, 
but the the awe-inspiring moments that I get are like when I find something that absolutely should not exist. Like there's no reason or like the the things that had to have happened for that thing to still survive 35 years later. Like the the calamity of happenstance that had to happen for this thing to be in my hands, like that recognition is what makes my jaw drop or things like, you know, I have um, a, a collection of, of map books from Nintendo gameplay counselors. And these are the books that they used to help kids through calls like every day. And so like the history of pieces like that radiate from these things, like in a very intangible way. And like, so like finding finding things like that is very humbling, but it's very different than like the, aha, I got the thing. And now I have the set. And like, you know, it's like, there's that, 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 those are very fleeting. That's like a dopamine hit, right? Where it's just like, I mean, I kind of, uh, I described it earlier when I was talking about like my action figure collection that I had sort of like met the definition of done the moment that I was like, bloop last thing like put that thing on the shelf and now i have everything there was like this like exhalation of like wow that's a thing i just did and then immediately afterwards it's hollow right Mm -hmm. it's just it's just like okay so i did the thing and now i have to find something else to do right so like meanwhile like every like i have the in in my living room i've got under glass i have the wily ship from the Mega Man two uh, you've probably seen it. if you were at yeah. the, the Portland's the big the big red yeah. football ship. I I um, don't know why the hell I didn't take a picture of it, but I remember seeing the the clay um, Wily ship with Mega Man. I was like, that's yeah. really cool because obviously the first cover of Nintendo Power was a clay Mario yeah. for Mario. Every two. single time, every single time, I've had that in the collection now for almost five years, and every single time I walk by that thing, I smile. Like there, that that's not the awe and the like moments of, of like gratitude and just those very humble moments are not those like immediate dopamine hits. Like it was when I was just collecting retail games. Yeah. Uh, essentially the, the way you're describing you finding these pieces and, and obviously and adding to the collection, it, uh, it makes me think of like these two very different characters. One of them is Indiana Jones and whereas, like, what do you like? When you to- we're talking about holding the map books uh, from the guide counselors, I had like an Indiana Jones finding the Ark of the Covenant moment for a split second. I was even in the room, but I thought to myself, if I could have like, held those books and just like flipped through it without having my face melted off, that would be nice. I would be like, these need to be saved. Like yeah. those need to be preserved because, as a v- even though I. I technically was alive during this era, but as a video gamer, as someone who does appreciate video game history, that is like some, someone put their blood, sweat and tears into making those books. Nintendo didn't give them out. The, the guide counselors had to make them. They sure did. And the fact that um, you have some of them, I'm like, I want to flip through them so bad. Just, (laughs) it's just like, look at these beautiful pages. And you have that sort of collection uh, that like this great collection where people should see it and we appreciate it compared to like the main villain from the Pokemon 2000 movie who just wants to collect stuff because he likes it. Yeah. 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 He's like, I collect things. I started my collection with the Ram U card. Now I'm going to collect the three legendary birds. Lol. Yeah. 
Yeah, had I not figured out, had I not had that final realization of like, okay, now it's time to share all this stuff, I probably wouldn't be collecting mm -hmm. the things that I collect now. Like I, I, I just, it, it is so much about, it's so much less about having the thing and so much more about sharing the thing. Yeah. Um, and that's really my, that, that is the final form, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, for sure. Especially with a magazine that was so many gamers nowadays have such deep history with or such a deep nostalgia with the fact that you're keeping these pieces um preserved and you're showing them off and your people can come look at them i think um i'm not a very religious person but you're doing if i were to say you're doing the lord's work i would say you're doing gamer lord's work in a, yeah. in a way of showing these pieces because you're right these could have been lost to time you could these artifacts and, could have been and honestly a lot of stuff is like mm -hmm. that's the, the that's the thing that's one of the drive just sorry to cut you off but the the right. the the there's a there's a there's a, a voice in the back of my head that spurs me along every day that says hey every day every moment that you're not finding something it's being thrown in the garbage so you better go find it like that's and because it is like you know, for instance, I have a, a, a she's a dear friend now, but Wendy Salvatore was the um, one of the uh, editors, uh, the layout art, layout artists for Nintendo Power Magazine, and so like she was doing paste ups, like so she was they called them paste ups because they were literally done with glue sticks. The way that a page was constructed in Nintendo Power is they would physically cut out the asset and or the block of text, and they would paste it together by hand and then photograph that thing and then that's how you would create your page is by printing the photograph and so she had thousands of pages of of layouts the the actual physical uh the actual physical paste ups um she had thousands of pages and uh a couple years before we met she showed them to her kids and said, hey, look, this is a thing that mommy did. Isn't that fun? And they're like, yeah, okay, whatever, mom. Like, not really caring. And she recycled all of them. No! Uh, again, nothing nothing against her, right? Like, no. it, was her, it was her job, right? You know, and again, that's why I say there's like a calamity of, of errors that has to happen for these things to survive. Because mm -hmm. like, you know, like the Wiley ship, that, that thing is larger than a regulation football. Um, and so like, there is no reason why a contract artist would have kept that for 35 years. It was like a very specific set of circumstances that allowed that thing to survive. And so like, I mean, it's the same thing. Like I've been in, like I said, I've worked in games for 20 years and like the amount of discs, you know, builds or people would call them prototypes probably incorrectly, but uh, people would call them prototypes today. The number of prototypes that I've had on my desk and fed into a shredder you know uh because that's what we were supposed to do after the after you know, we, we just mulch these discs after we're done with them um you know thousands upon thousands upon thousands of prototypes and like development hardware and all of that but it was just my job like so no i didn't save much of that and so that's what makes one of the big challenges here uh in in collecting the the art is that this was just a job for a lot of these people and 
of course they didn't keep the stuff. Why would they think to keep this stuff? Right. Yeah. And even, I mean, obviously like hold, having the page layers for Nintendo power in the right audience, that's a gold mine. In your in your uh, in your brain, that's like what's well, like Ark of the Covenant to bring the Indiana Jones analogy back. But I could definitely see like for some young kids who don't really know what Nintendo Power is, they're like, "That's cool, I guess." And yeah, I completely understand. Yeah. Even when I was, even like when I go through my own things, or I think back to like the exact moment of when I had like uh, like say a toy or just like an act or. Or just like some pieces, or even games, even, and I decide to sell them, and then years later I go, "Damn it, shouldn't have done it." Yeah, because when you're, it's because Ben that back then was in very different circumstances than present Ben, so obviously it's just one of those things. Like, man, I wish I didn't do it, but at the same time, I get it. I hundred percent understand why. Also, and I and I say it much more delicately when I'm talking about you know people's estates and their legacy, but. The TLDR is generally your children do not want your shit that, uh, you know, and so that's why, like, even people who I approach and they're like, I'm not ready to sell or I want it to go to my children or whatever. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But let's make a plan. Let's at least make a plan so that if something happens and your kids, you know, like, write my email address on the back of something or like, just like, just like, let's, let's make a plan so that if something happens that we get the phone call, right. Instead of it going to a yard sale, instead of it going yeah. into a dumpster, right. Like, let's just make sure that there's a plan. Sometimes it's, you know, I'm in a number of people's wills, right. That like when, when they pass X thing goes to the interactive art collection. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because again, your children don't wear your shit. And like, even like my, my dad recently uh, a year ago now has passed at the age of 92. We should all be so lucky. Um, but uh, I thought growing up, like I would want more of his stuff. Right. But like we were going through it and like, I kept, I kept three rings, three rings. And I think it's right here. Yeah. Three rings and this knife is all that I kept out of my dad's 92 year collection of stuff, right? That's all I wanted was three rings and this knife. Uh, and, you know, so the presumption, that's why I, I you know, I, again, no wrong way to collect. If people want to collect for their children, fine. Usually I think that's kind of an excuse, but whatever. Um, but I think a lot of these collectors who are saying like, oh yeah, I'm doing this for my children are going to find out that their children are not particularly interested. Uh, so, you know, just be careful. I mean, I don't have kids, but when I bought this game right here, I bought it for me and it's going right. to stay for me. <laughs> Audio listeners, I'm holding up my DS copy of Chrono Trigger. Which, in is, case the, you were which is, by the way, the best way to play Chrono Trigger. And like, even when you were saying, I, I pulled this game up when you were talking about the chase earlier, because I was hunting this game down and I, I was scouring eBay and I was in a bid war for it. I won it. I actually paid less for it than I thought I was going to pay. I paid $75. I think only like $3 shipping and handling. Um, only bummer is, is that the case itself is kind of, eh, but the game works. It's a legit copy. It has the poster. Hey, All the insides are in there. And it's just like, when I finally look at this, like when I tell my friends and other collectors who have a uh, Chrono Trigger, and when I tell them the type of copy I have, the second I say, oh, yeah, it has the poster, their eyes go, whoa. Yeah, first print. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. First print. First print. Yeah, part of uh, me just thought about maybe putting that poster in a frame and sticking it up here, but I'm like, nah, it's probably gonna stay in here for a while. At least yeah. until I finally play the game. I've owned this game for well over a year, and I still haven't sit down and played it. It's not because I don't want to. It's just time. Time is a factor. Now I know it that that was the whole like your kids don't want your crap thing was a tangent. What were we talking about? <laughs> uh, we were talking about the chase, but I want to shift oh. gears just a little, just a little bit. Sure. But so uh, you want you have over three hundred pieces, like three hundred fifty pieces in the Art Nintendo Power right now. This might be a bad question, but I gotta know: Is there one piece in your collection in particular that it's your absolute favorite? I don't know that I could get down to one. I could get down to like a few. That um, works. Let's take. The, let's go with that. The Wily ship is incredible, absolutely mm-hmm. incredible. And again, due to its size and it being its delicate nature, like there are a couple pieces that I go. There's literally because like flat pieces of art, fine. I get like someone could have like put that in a flat file and and it could have sat there for thirty years. That makes sense to me. The clay stuff does not make sense to my brain as to how it survived 35 years before it got to me. Um, so like just from a, like, again, that like radiating history, um, the clay stuff and specifically that Wiley ship, um, is, is, uh, is definitely a favorite. Um, the Castlevania four oil painting is astounding. I don't know if you, it, it was at Portland. It was right next to, in a very large frame, right next to all of the, the clay figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, it's Simon Belmont, um, swinging through the darkness on a chain. Um, if, uh, for those of you who are familiar with that issue and, uh, and it is the only oil painting to my knowledge ever painted for the magazine. Ooh. Um, Normally, it's done in the. It's usually like airbrushed acrylics. The vast majority of the colors covers are airbrushed acrylics or photographs of real things. Um, but uh, but that is, to my knowledge, the only oil painting done for Nintendo Power magazines. Certainly, the only oil painting for a cover. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is uh, that is a, a favorite. Um, those are probably my top two. Uh, there are a couple covers that are very special to me. Um, all of my Dan McGowan covers, Dan McGowan, he, he passed away in, in 2010. Um, and, uh, and I worked through his estate to be able to acquire his work. Um, the Mickey's magical quest and, um, secret of mana and, uh, and lemmings. And, uh, there's just like, he has, he has, I think I have eight or nine pieces of his work and all of them are just absolutely jaw dropping. Um, but, uh, so those are up there. And then also there's like a lot of art that is like reader submitted that I love. Um, I have, I have a number of pieces of envelope art from Nintendo power where children would mostly children, uh, would, draw on envelopes and uh and submit them to nintendo power and they would have a chance a very small chance of being published um and i have a number of pieces of that art and that is by and large the hardest things to find like look all of this is god tier like difficulty (laughs) right but like but like 
sub tiers within that level of difficulty, the envelope art is among the hardest things to find because Nintendo never sent that back to children. So in order, in order to have found any of it, it would have had to make its way out of the building by other means. And so uh, unlike contracted artwork, which they were actually mandated unless Nintendo paid an extra fee to keep the art, which they almost always never did. Um, or almost never did. Almost always never did. That was a silly thing to say. Uh, always never did. Um, then uh, then they would have to ship it back to the artist, or they were supposed to ship it back to the artist. Um, but the envelope art, they specifically never shipped back to the artists. So it's incredibly difficult to find. Because I, I remember seeing bits of the envelope art and... It reminded me very much because back when I was collecting comic books, I was collecting. Um, I was a still am. I love Sonic the Hedgehog, yeah. uh, and I would be reading the old Archie comics. And on the back of the issue, they would always have um, fan art that kids have submitted. Sure. And it, I mean, sometimes it's uh, even nowadays in the IDW pages, they still have bits and pieces of like fan art that fans submit. Mm-hmm. And once again, there's times where the art is like you know really really good. Other times where I was like, obviously a three-year-old drew this. Nothing against the three-year-old. It's just I'm just glad that they were able to send it in and they're like, I love Sonic, here you go. But I definitely love seeing the envelope art. Um, like when you're talking about when you were mentioning it as I because I saw that, I was like, I never knew Nintendo Power did that, to be perfectly honest. I had mm. no clue. Mm. And the fact that they never sent it back is like yikes. <laughs> Yeah, there was a uh, the section was called Player's Pulse, and they would they would do they would take they would answer letters like just normal letters. Mm-hmm. They would answer questions and stuff, but then also they would publish envelope art, and usually there was around ten pieces of of art per issue um, okay. that they would that they would publish, which Have also you- means that there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pieces that they didn't publish, and it's <laughs> most likely lost to time, which is heartbreaking. Probably. Um, have you ever met some, or has someone ever come up to you at a convention, point at an envelope and said, <laughs> how did you get that? That's mine. Has someone ever done that? Never in person. Okay. Several <laughs> several times online. Um, okay. And uh, before you ask, they've never asked for it back, oh. uh, which is nice um, because that would be a very difficult conversation, honestly, because yeah. – uh, I I pay for this art most of the time, and usually it's not a small amount of money, mm-hmm. and uh, so it would be a difficult conversation from from that perspective. But but so far they've only just been absolutely thrilled that their art is part of the exhibit, and and that they're able to to see it again. And I and I will always like give them high res scans or whatever. Or like, um, and if if I you know, if someone really wanted something back we would cross that bridge when we came to it. I'm not saying that I wouldn't figure something out, but like, would it be my preference? No, but would I, but would I be uh, open to conversation? Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, and some of that has, um, has uh, spawned other projects. Like I've had, um, I've had people who have drawn for the magazine, then draw things for me for the exhibit. Um, our, our, our Howard and Nestor, if you look at our banners, uh, at any of the exhibits or, or the, honestly, it's the, also the thumbnail to my Twitter account, um, mm-hmm. 
it's a, a, a drawing of Howard and Nestor, and that was drawn by the same artist who drew the last uh, the last issue of Nestor's Adventures in the last issue of, of Nintendo Power. Oh, wow. Um, uh, uh, Bill Mudron. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, so yeah. Uh, or I have uh, one of the... So there was a contest in Nintendo Power to was it Mega Man four or five? There was a there was a contest in Nintendo Power to draw uh, a robot master, and they they actually made a Nightman and Windman Knight with a K uh, were from that contest um, where they they were you know they were redrawn by an actual artist obviously, but they were but they were based off of designs that children had submitted, and I have now found a number of you know, I say children, but they're now obviously in their forties. Um, I've I've found a number of people who drew Mega Man villains for that contest, <laughs> and then I'm I'm working on this project now that I'm going to debut hopefully either this year or next year, where I've had a number of them redraw the Mega Man villain that they submitted to the magazine. Only now, with the the thirty five years worth of skill that they have that they have uh, acquired. And, uh, and so I'm going to put up a, put up a, cause I don't have the original art obviously for the Mega Man contest cause they didn't send that stuff back. Um, but uh, I'm going to put together an exhibit where you can see side by side the drawing, the new drawing from that same artist that they drew when they were, you know, eight oh. or younger. That I would love to see that. I mean, I'm also a big Mega Man fan. Um, I remember, I think I remember, hearing about that contest i mean obviously not when it happened because it Mega Man 3 came out long before i was born yeah. but i do remember like watching youtube videos and they would talk about it, like oh yeah some vill- some like these some kids were picked from a draw Mega Man villain contest and that's how some of the robot masters were created i'm like oh that's neat but even seeing some of the like what little art did survive that has been circling that or at least photos of said art have been circling the internet those are some really cool designs and I would love to see how like, yeah, I drew this when I was a child. Look at the glow up now. <laughs> I can yeah, only imagine them, maybe. Oh, sorry. Some of them did not become artists, but actually a surprising number of them did become career artists. Uh, and so they, uh, the, so the glow up is, is significant. Uh, I bet I hundred, I hundred percent believe that. And now I really want to go to Arizona. That show. are you going to uh, um, premiere in Arizona or are you, I am not. I'm not sure right now. Um, framing is very expensive. It's actually the biggest expense that we have, and so usually, like I have, of the 360, what did I say before, 364, 367, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I have probably 200 pieces that are framed, okay. um, and so uh, so that stuff is among. It's on the pile, right? Right. Um, to, to to be framed and because I, I i can't show anything publicly that's not framed mostly mm-hmm. from a security perspective because it's it's much harder for to walk out the door with a frame than it is to you know roll something up and put it in your pocket yeah. so uh so i generally won't show anything unless that it's it's either under glass or in a frame and uh and it's just it, the framing takes i mean the physical framing process does take time too but but also just like all basically all of my spare income goes towards framing 
you know, again, we are a nonprofit, but the our our biggest contributor to our organization monetarily is me. Mm. So, um, uh, so yeah, and until we get to the point where we are actually, you know, ha- having and usually, you know, I'll go to a show and we'll get like a couple hundred dollars or something like that, which is great. It'll help pay for the show, honestly, mm-hmm. like, cause I got to feed Chris and then I got to, yeah. I got to, you know, pay for the truck and, you know, and, and, uh, although usually, unless it's a very, very small show, uh, usually the, the show will pick up the tab on the truck, which is nice. That's um, good. but, um, all right. Well, we're coming up on time for um, for this episode, but there is one more thing I want to uh, talk to you about real quick. Sure. So earlier you mentioned about how um, the art of you were most of the art of uh, not most of the entire exhibit of art Nintendo Power is dealing with the hand drawn um, aspects of the magazine pre polygons pre in sixty four. Um, this is a bit of a two parter. Will there ever be a moment where you will start accepting and displaying um, computer-generated images and art, or when you finally get all the um, artifacts that you can, like say there, because there's obviously a finite number of artifacts and paintings from Nintendo Power going up to a certain issue. Say in a perfect world, you're able to get it all. Are you willing to stop, or are you going to be like, you know what? I said this once, but other people worked on these, um, even though they're pre-rendered uh, 3D images, let's put them in because it still has to deal with Nintendo Power as a whole. Uh, so first, there's no way on earth that I would never, I would ever be able to identify when I was done. Okay. Because X amount, first of all, the the first X amount of issues were done by a company called Tokuma Shoten, uh, a Japanese uh a Japanese uh, publisher, and so like a lot of the early, which is why you 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 probably notice a pretty significant change in design after the first couple of years of Nintendo Power, where they started to have American artists working on it. But in the beginning, it was almost except for the cover artist, all of the interior work was almost exclusively done by Japanese artists. Mm-hmm. The Japanese art is incredibly incredibly difficult to source for a number of reasons uh obviously language barrier geographic barrier uh but also there's you know i i have found that japanese artists of a certain age there's there's a one of the challenges is that there's a sort of a a point of you know this art is made by japanese artists it's for the japanese we're going to keep it in japan there's a little bit of that Mm -hmm. um and which is fine right totally fine but so there's a significant amount of Japanese art that I will never find, likely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also, just all up, I have no idea what's been destroyed. There is right. no way that I would be able to track that. So, I and I sure know it's not zero, right? So, so I'm never concerned about reaching that definition of done because mm-hmm. I would never be able to know when I had both these conditions would have to be true. I would have to know that I had everything that I exist had existed, but I would also need to have a very organized list of what's been destroyed. And that second thing is literally impossible. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so yeah, I'm not worried about the definition of done going back to your, the first part of your question about digital art. Yes. 
and we already do. Um, there are a no, there are a s several pieces. Um, what am I thinking? Uh, the uh, one of the Mortal Kombat covers, um, and um, and the um, Stargate cover. <laughs> There's Ooh. a Stargate 64 cover. Um, those were both done digitally. I think it's. I think it was either Mortal Kombat three or Ultimate Mortal Kombat. The, the, anyway, those those were both done digitally, and we have. So the only reason that those exist is because the artist happened to print print out a couple uh, copies and then put those in his personal portfolio, and I was able to buy his portfolio. Um, oh. That was until I scanned it and put it on Twitter. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> that was the only physical copy of that art in existence. Um, the thing that makes digital art actually more challenging than physical art is that if you pick a, a painting and stick it in a drawer for 35 years, it's going to still be that painting. If you put a hard drive in a drawer mm. for 35 years, the likelihood of that hard drive still functioning is probably pretty slim. And so yeah. most of the digital artists that I have talked to were like, like I had, let me go check some hard drives and they come back and be like, sorry, they're all dead. Or sorry, that was 10 computers ago. Why would I have any of that? You know, those, those are the challenges with digital art um, is that they're ephemeral. And so unless someone archives them in a secure way or physically prints them, the likelihood of those things still existing are very, very slim. So- okay. I would be happy to to display digital art. Um, it's just so exceedingly rare that I've only that we only have I think I think three pieces of digital art in the archive. Oh wow, wow! Only three? Because yeah. I mean, with one with because for me growing up, whenever the digit whenever stuff digitally came about, especially when um, like when games started to make the push from physical to digital, where it's like, oh, you could just buy games digitally, they'll be on your hard drive. I do remember a lot of conversation and the fear of us losing our hard drives and losing and just hard drives just going. The fear wasn't there back then. Now that we thankfully we know a whole lot better. That is actually to me that's kind of surprising because I would feel you would think that the digital stuff would be easier to store, but the like you said, artists had could they they worked on it like ten computers ago. It's long gone, right? Or, because also this was this was pre cloud, right? This was pre oh, yeah. pre pre not pre internet, but pre like widely used internet, and mm -hmm. and definitely pre cloud, and so it's not like today where we have you know living breathing digital archives online. Um, it was literally just whatever they had likely locally, um, you know, and, or like, I guess there's a non-zero chance that Nintendo has some of it archived, but like, while Nintendo has been wonderful to me from a, like, you know, basically the deal we have is I don't make money on their IP and they don't sue me into the ground. Like that's, that's, <laughs> that's good. Right. Like I'm happy with that arrangement. Yeah. Um, but as far as knowing what's in their archive, that's not a conversation that I have been able to have. Obviously, that's something that I would love to have, and I would love to be able to, uh, you know, on uh, some timeline, do something officially with Nintendo. Doing an exhibit with them would be, you know, that would be, uh, you know, a career aspiration. Obviously, oh, yeah. but but. Like, I don't know. I mean, that's also, that's a third piece of like, why I'll never know what, what's 
you know, when I'm done is that I assume that there's a non-zero amount of this art. I mean, I know for sure, like the first party art, the stuff that like Nintendo, uh, like when they, the, the Super Mario, uh, Super Mario World cover, that's just like literally the art that they did for the box on the cover. Um, mm -hmm. And so like that kind of stuff, the first party art, I know for sure they have, or at least likelihood that they have. But, um, but I don't know, I don't know what else they might have in their own archive. So. Mm -hmm. Well, as you said, this is the this year marks the 35th anniversary of Nintendo Power. Hopefully, they call you soon. That would I mean, be pretty sweet if you ask me. I would be lying if I said that I wasn't trying actively. <laughs> uh, so, so all right. Good. Well, Stefan, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to talk to me about this. This has been an absolute blast, and I want to say I'll see you in Phoenix, but I can't guarantee that. But uh, but you will 100% be at Game on Expo in Phoenix, Arizona, correct? I will. Um, they're also, we're doing, so I know for sure I'm doing three shows. And then sometimes, you know, something will pop up like a local show. Like there's a, there's a, I live in Simi Valley, California. So there's like a, there's a local Simi show that I do sometimes. Um, but um, definitely doing Portland, definitely mm -hmm. doing Game on, and definitely doing SAC Gamers Expo this year mm -hmm. in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. um so and the it's it's december december 17th um i think is, is when that is because that's oh that's right because that's also my my wedding anniversary to my oh. current wife so uh that's why i know that <laughs> not off the top <laughs> of my head um but yeah so I, that's december 17th um so i'll definitely be doing those three shows this year um and then maybe more stuff Awesome. Well, if you're going to, well, if anyone's listening and they're going to those three shows, keep an eye out. It's amazing. Like I said before, it really is an amazing exhibit. You're going to see stuff there that you will not see anywhere else. And thankfully, pictures are totally awesome to take because I was just, I was taking every time I see the exhibit, I'm always, I my phone's out going to snap, like snapping as many photos as I can. Yeah, it's all behind museum glass. So, or, or, or museum plexi. So, there's, there's, there's very little very little uh harm that can be done to them so mm -hmm. please take pictures um but also i would say you know if i'm not at a show uh, that's a favorite of any of your listeners like let those organizers know that i exist and that uh, you know maybe we can work something out um i'm always i'm always open to new shows um so uh so yeah uh the the best way to find me for that is probably just f hitting me up on twitter um, and that's art of Nintendo power is the one that I, I generally frequent or it's at art of NP. Um, that's, that's usually the best way to, to get a hold of me. There's other stuff like through the, through the interactive art collection. You could also interactiveartcollection.org. You can also find me that way, but, uh, the easiest one is through Twitter. All right. Until Elon blows it all up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I shudder to think about that, to be perfectly, to be perfectly honest, because I owe so much, so many, uh, like connections through twitter yeah like i talked like i mean obviously i saw your um art collection in in person but then when i then one day i saw your twitter account i was like oh shit he has a twitter account click follow and then 20 minutes later it's like what do you mean they followed me back what did i do yeah okay that's neat yeah twitter on well social in general but twitter specifically is is a very big part of what i do uh so i would be um very bummed from a very like it would have a direct impact on my museum if twitter blew up um yeah 
Because like yeah. likelihood, you know, because again, most of the people that I'm finding are of a certain age. So like they're not they're not going to be jumping to the next popular social network. Right. It's like the the if if they are on social, they're on the very established social yeah. networks. Right. Um, yeah. And so uh, so Twitter, Twitter is obviously a big one. Facebook, obviously a big one. Yeah. Right? So if either of those two blew up, I would be it would there would be a direct negative significant impact to what I do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But thankfully, that hasn't happened yet. That's Don't right. fuck it up, Elon. That's right. Uh, yeah. Fingers crossed that doesn't ha- that doesn't happen. But anyways. Stefan, once again, thank you so much. Yes, listeners, follow the Art Nintendo Power on Twitter. Go see him at the shows. If you want um, this this amazing exhibit at your show, contact the organizers of said show. Be like, hey, this dude is like really awesome. And we're only a few states away from California. This is an easy enough drive to get out there. Yeah, it's generally uh, it's the 24 hours is usually my cutoff. If I can if I can drive it in 24 hours one way, um, then I'm open. Yeah. Um, it's once I get to the, the multi-day driving that it gets extra challenging. Yeah. Uh, East coasters. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, look, I, uh, my, my desire is to retire into this some, mm-hmm. sometime. So, uh, so when I am able to retire, um, I'd like to do this full time. And then at that point, y'all will be seeing me on the East coast. Um, or, you know, if it's something really special there's an there's a world in which i would you know have to like basically bank my vacation time right but but like and so there would be some strategy that would go into that but for something for something really specific like if like certainly if nintendo wanted to do something in the new york store like that's where i think if something happened between us the likelihood it would happen there mm-hmm. um then i would absolutely like make that happen but uh oh, yeah. but yeah the 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 uh the East Coast stuff is very challenging. Yeah. But hey, East Coasters, let me rephrase. Not good luck. Be patient. Just wait. Yeah. It's going to happen sometime. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, yeah. So once again, follow Stefan. Follow uh, our Nintendo Power. And of course, you can follow this show on uh, Twitter at uh, Baseball Trade Pause You can follow me, BenMag27, everywhere. Figner Podcast is Mothership Show. FignerPodcast.com. You, you all know. Listeners should know that already. Uh, Stefan, once more, thank you again so much for being here. It has been an absolute blast. Yeah, this was great. Anytime. Yeah, I can't wait to see you again at convention. And until next time, unpause. <laughs>